least the most wonderful time of the year. You know, except all those aches and pains that creep up as the weather gets cooler, or God forbid you pull a Clark Griswold while putting up the lights. But what if there's a way to be able to enjoy the cold weather of the holiday season without the associated bodily aches and pains? Well, imagine no further as Evil CBD Topical Freeze Gel is here to the rescue. Whether it's to help that nagging shoulder injury from sports ball game of yesteryear, or it's to help alleviate those deep aches and pains, CBD Topical Freeze Gel from Ebels offers the industry best quality and strength to offer lasting relief from chronic pain. And this holiday season, all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience can get that perfect gift to self or stocking stuffer for that fitness fanatic in the family at an exclusive discount at checkout using code TBNS. Again, use code TBNS at checkout to get your discount applied to your order. Listen, the holidays are especially tough this year, so let's at least not spend them in pain. So use code TBNS at checkout to see the evil's difference today. Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific need. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Victor Antonio, welcome to the program. Selling is all about really, it's, we're not selling a product, you're not selling a service, you're not selling value, you're not selling whatever you think you're selling, a solution. You're selling change. Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. As a sales and marketing executive in the greater telecommunications cybersecurity industry, Brian works with C-level executives to help them future-proof their company's infrastructure for an uncertain future. And in each episode, Brian takes that experience and applies it to the Liberty Movement. And this is why we talk about being the trusted advisor. You should be able to help use that expert guidance and all the opinions that I'm sure that you have and help lead them towards not just a decision, but the right decision. Instead of focusing on simply winning arguments or being right, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and their application in the world of politics, showing you how to ask better questions, tell better stories, and ultimately change people's minds. And now, your host, Brian Nichols. Without further ado, on to the show. Michael Torres here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you very much, Brian. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you here, Michael, because you are here to discuss a very important topic, and it's a topic I think is, is really misunderstood by the public at large, uh, being that of school choice. But before we dig into that conversation, I want my audience to get to know who my guests are. So let's kind of start off, who is Michael Torres, and uh, what was your journey to liberty, and uh, eventually you're uh, becoming the senior communications officer over at the great uh, organization, the Commonwealth Foundation. Yes. So that's a big question. Um, I came from Southern California. That's where I grew up, a town called Valencia, which is about 40 minutes north of LA. I uh, went to school there as well at Chapman University, bounced down the coast a little bit. And then I joined the Navy, uh, met my girlfriend, now wife. I served as a public affairs officer for 
four years, went on a couple of deployments, um, enjoyed that very much. And that brought me to the East Coast. Uh, after I got out of the Navy, my wife got into Drexel Nursing School, which brought me to Philadelphia. And uh, while I was there, I found Commonwealth Foundation. Um, uh, I was just hopping around the internet looking for places to work and conservative organizations in Pennsylvania. They showed up and I thought, oh my goodness, this is awesome. Threw in an application and they uh, they interviewed me and took me in. And since then, for about a year and a half now, I've been doing communications work for them and having the time of my life. And you guys are doing great stuff over there. Um, you know, Obviously, one of the main areas you do focus on at the Commonwealth Foundation is that of public um, schooling and, and public choice for, for schooling. Uh, but there's a lot of other great stuff you guys are doing over there as well. So you want to kind of discuss who the Commonwealth uh, Foundation is and then some of the works you guys have been doing uh, besides school choice? Yeah, uh, the Commonwealth Foundation is a state-based think tank. Most states have one, uh, free market uh, think tank. So we focus on economic issues and things that have to do with the economic future of our state. Obviously, we focus exclusively on Pennsylvania, um, although it ends up having a national impact. Along with school choice, uh, the issues we focus a lot on are public sector union reform, uh, economic growth, uh, liquor privatization, and ways to improve the business environment in our state. How that have to do with public policy? So the, it really changes from day to day. Uh, it depends on what's going on in politics, but uh, it's it's really fun and we get to cover a whole lot of very interesting issues that impact Pennsylvanians on a very personal level, even while they're paying attention to national things. I don't think people realize how important it is to pay attention to what's going on in your state legislature. And, and one thing you just said there that is so true is people don't realize not just state legislature, but your local politics, how important it is to get involved and actually ask questions. Because I mean, I dare say a lot of people don't realize that it's the local government that impacts their, their lives most directly. Um, so it's, it's super important to make sure that, um, number one, you're, you're educated about what's, mm-hmm. you know, happening in, in your, not only your state, but also your localities, but then to also know where the organizations are that are available to help promote, um, you know, liberty oriented policies. I mean, there's yourself with the Commonwealth, uh, Commonwealth Foundation. Um, I had, uh, a gentleman on my show, Connor Jagotis from, uh, the, the Fairness Center and, uh, David Osborne, the, uh, the president of, uh, the Fairness Center. And they are doing a lot of work also with what you were discussing with, uh, public unions, um, trying to help protect uh, public union uh, employees, but mm-hmm. those who are being forced into a union. So there's a, a lot of great organizations like, like, you know, Commonwealth Foundation, the Fairness Center, and you guys are all doing great work. And it's so important uh, to really focus on the work you're doing. And, and that's why I wanted to have in the show, Michael, is to discuss, you know, really one of the, the main focuses right now here in Pennsylvania, especially with Governor Wolf's actions in um, signing 11 executive orders to uh, curtail school choice. Um, but I think there's a common misunderstanding, uh, or maybe not even misunderstanding, just a common lack of knowledge, truly, it's ignorance, about what school choice actually is. And I think, you know, what we hear in contemporary uh, politics and just, you know, day-to-day discussions between, you know, I, I myself, I know a lot of public school teachers, and I consider most of them uh, to be very near and dear friends, um, but they have this misconception as to public schooling, or I'm sorry, uh, rather uh, public choices for, for schooling as being, you know, racist or, or being um, backwards, and it's, it's uh, you know, only going to help the rich kids and hurt the poor kids. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's good to have you on the show, number one, to kind of set the foundation of explaining what uh, school choice is, um, but then hopefully we can dispel some of these these myths that are out there as to you know, the negatives of school choice. So let's kind of start with the premise of school choice. You know, it, it sounds pretty common sense, but it, it really isn't. So Michael, could you kind of explain to the audience, walk through what is school choice and why are, are so many people against the idea of school choice? 
Well, school choice is this crazy idea that parents should have autonomy over where and how their children are educated. And in the United States, we have this peculiar system. And when you look at what the rest of the world is doing when it comes to public education, our way of organizing it is very, very peculiar, where we segregate everybody into their geographic district. It's been like that since the 1800s, and it hasn't changed since then. And it is rock solid. It's really difficult to change it. And for some reason, we keep persisting with this industrial-aged uh, process of educating children based off of where they live. And that can end up having a whole lot of problems that we see with uh, underfunded school districts in places where there just aren't the tax dollars to support the entire the large population of students that are there. Places like Philadelphia. I was just say, just like here in Philly. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then people move out to other districts uh, in the in the su suburbs, and you see that in any major city, New York, L.A., wherever. You go out to the suburbs, and there's always a nice school district, and people plop themselves into that district, buy a house there, and then they get to be in that geographically assigned area. The idea behind school choice is that the people that can move from inner city Philadelphia to Bucks County or from Los Angeles out to uh, an, an outer suburb or from inner city Chicago to somewhere else, they are exercising school choice because they have the financial means to do so. They can buy a house in another school district and choose that school district. Right. Someone who doesn't have that those kind of means, that sort of financial assets, cannot do that. So we're working to find ways, and there's been a lot of great people working on this for a long time, to give people who do not have that capability to have some sort of choice into where and how their children are educated so that they can provide an education that meets the unique needs of the, that child. And there's every child needs something different, and any parent you speak to can tell you how their child would be uh, able to perform better in one place and not so well in another. Uh, that's the basic premise behind it. So now we say school choice, right? It, it, it just sounds so, you know, simple to, 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 you know, conceptualize. Like you're, you're mm -hmm. literally picking where your child's going to go to school. Um, now how, do, how would somebody choose, uh, I guess, where their kid wants to go to school? And I mean, it, are there limitations? Cause I mean, I myself, I, I'm not certain on, on, you know, the questions that I'm asking, honestly, like if I, you know, lived in Philadelphia and I want to send my kid to a school district in Jersey or, or, you know, send them into, you know, far Northeast PA every single day, you know, how would that process work? Would I be required to bring my kid to the school? Am I even allowed to bring the kid to a school outside of my state? How does that, that all work? I mean, it, the practicalities of how you're, you'd be able to get a child to where you want to go is kind of a personal issue that, that everyone would have to deal with. But what we can address is giving people more options in the place that they're at. And to take it to zoom in on where you are in Philadelphia, one of the ways that that's happened, especially is charter schools. For a long time, it was all you had was the one option, your local district school. Then all of a sudden, uh, charter schools started coming about and independently managed but publicly funded schools could then start operating and really taking an innovative approach to education, deciding, hey, we're going to focus on STEM or we're going to focus on the arts or we're going to be much more disciplined in how we get these children ready for the tough future that faces them, uh, given their past and uh, the difficulties in the economic area they're in. Uh, and all of a sudden, the parents don't have to fly to northeastern Pennsylvania to get, find a good school or even to the next county. They have at least two options. If they don't like one of the schools, they say, my kid might do better in the other one. 
And what we're trying to do is make sure that parents have at, at least one or two of those options. And that's what we're fighting for in the state legislature and what people in, in like places like Texas and Florida and Ohio are trying to do every single day so that parents who are not of uh, very high means financially can have a place to get their kids educated the way they want them to close by. So I'm confused because it just seems that this makes sense, right? And, and that's honestly, <laughs> and that, and that's one of the things about being a libertarian, to be honest, or just, you know, not even just a libertarian, just involved in the, the ideas and concepts of liberty is that, you know, at the end of the day, it just, it makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, to, to make it as easy as possible, Matt Kibbe's don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. Like, that's it. And mm-hmm. this just seems like, you know, it, it fits into that model of, you know, if a parent wants their kid to go to a certain school because they think their kid's going to get educated better, then let them do that. Um, exactly. and, and I mean, that really kind of goes to the marketplace, right? I mean, the, the parents aren't going to send their kids to a, a school purposely that is worse. Um, they're going to look to bring their kids to schools that are better. So I guess then my question is, why is there such a fight against allowing parents to have the choice of where the parents should send their kids to school? Well, that's a fantastic question. And honestly, Brian, I could beat around the bush with a whole bunch of different policy proposals and the arguments that go back and forth. But what it really comes down to is money. Public education in the United States is a massive, massive financial um, work. I, I think it's somewhere around $900 billion in the last year spent on wow. public education. It's humongous how much money is spent on the local level, property taxes, state level taxes, federal government funding, the amount of money that flows through the public education system is humongous. And so the people who work in public education, who manage the process and are administrators of it, have an inherent desire to keep that system running and keep the money flowing. If you take a child out of the public education education system and the parent says, oh, I want them to go to a private school, say with a tax credit scholarship, then that child's uh, money, or at least a portion of it that would be coming from the state, is no longer flowing through the district, and that's just a little bit less money that the local teachers' unions get to get to take and use for what they would like to use it for. And so, when it comes right down to it, the more butts they have in seats, the more money they have, uh, and that's kind of a not a romantic way to talk about it. Uh, and there are wonderful, wonderful people who work in public education for the purpose of educating children. My wife was a public education t- teacher in Florida and Virginia, and she worked her butt off to do it. And I know there's tons of them. However, that's why people do not care about school choice. It's all about the money. And I think there's a um, there's there's a sentiment that's promoted often by those in the public sector that um it's not about, you know, the kids. This is all uh, an a- attempt to discriminate against poor people, to discriminate against uh, minorities, to discriminate and just, you know, go down the list of, of the disenfranchised. And they'll say that that's the entire purpose for this school choice movement. It's not to, to help kids get smarter. It's to purposely separate the haves and the have nots. And I hear that emotional argument raised quite a bit in response to school choice. Where are they getting things wrong? They couldn't be more wrong. It's kind of kind of amazing how wrong they are because the people who benefit from school choice are by and large low income minority families in Pennsylvania. Charter schools serve disproportionately more low income minority students than district schools do. And that's replicated all across the country. D.C. is a fantastic example 
where if you're a low-income African-American student, your local district schools failed you for generation after generation, and it wasn't until they had a voucher program implemented that all of a sudden the low-income African-American students had the same opportunities that the kids who are the children of lobbyists on K Street have to go to the really nice private school in Georgetown or something like that because they have a scholarship that can help them get into it. They never would have had that opportunity beforehand. Now, I understand the argument that you want to make the local public school better, but I'm sorry, education's a have your cake and eat it too situation. The, the way that, uh, school choice programs work in Pennsylvania doesn't take public money or doesn't take money out of the public education system. It may make it so that a local district is taking money out of one school and putting it over towards a charter school. However, the amount of funding that's going into public education is going up every single year like clockwork. So it's just it's disingenuous to say that it's not helping students when the exact people that it's meant for are people who are low income and don't have the opportunities that rich people do. So this is my my philosophical libertarian brain working, right? Um, would a, a school choice system be able to exist truly in a, in a free market system? Because it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that basically we're, we're taking the, the public funding dollars towards education and instead of directly applying them to public education, um, you know, systems, be it, you know, whether it's a local school district or, you know, within a city or what have you, that now it's, it's being, you know, separated and, and now it's going towards private organizations, which I dare say we could see an issue with cronyism, right? And then we see that with, you know, private companies getting handouts from the government all the time. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm not saying that that's the case right here, but I'm saying couldn't, I guess, number one, that be an issue. But then number two, um, could this exist, you know, truly on its own in a free market system? Um, you know, and if, if so, how would it look? Yeah, I guess the premise would have to be for, for that to the argument you're making would have to be that the school district and public education system is a market system and it's just not. It's a monopoly. Right. Um, and it's just been recently, ever since the 90s, that their absolute control over public education as we view it um, has changed a little bit. And now they don't like that very much, the people who run it and benefit off of it. However, something that is very interesting is what is called educational pluralism. Uh, I would recommend that you look up Dr. Ashley Brenner at uh, Johns Hopkins Institute. She recently had a um, report that she published with the Manhattan Institute, and she had an op-ed in The Hill where she discussed what pluralism means in education and how it actually makes a more more market-friendly system for education. And essentially what it means is education is a public good no matter where the child is being educated. We need our citizens to be well-educated to be able to have a self-government. Now, where that happens is up to the parent. That's where it should be. It shouldn't be dictated by the state or where you live. So your child's education money that is funded through the government, because we've all decided it is a public good to help children get educated through public funds, should be able to go with that child wherever the parent wants them to get educated. Obviously, we need to have accountability practices in making that happen. And the surprising thing is that almost every other modern democracy in this world, Israel, Denmark, uh, Belgium, France, the United Kingdom, they use this system. 
they don't restrict their children to districts where they get educated. Every child, their parents can send them to a socialist school, a Muslim school, a Christian school, a parochial school, a tech school, an art school, whichever school they would like to send their kids to. And the state's only purpose is to make sure that it's funded and that there's accountability. And after that, it's a competition among the providers who are providing the the education and the choice among the parents who are the consumers, which is as free as you can probably make an education system where the public is taking an interest in it. So that's now that that leads my next question, right? Um, so isn't that system now dangerously getting closer to a system that we're seeing currently in our private um, colleges, right? Or not just private colleges, but the college systems in general, where government is funding these colleges and they're saying, you know, there's a choice. You can go to a liberal arts college or you can go to, you know, a, a math college or, or, you know, something that fo- focuses more on political science. I, I don't know, you know, just using these silly examples, um, East Coast, Ivy League, whatever it may be. And, you know, now instead of, you know, being able just to, to solely pick whatever one you want to go to, but the government's now footing the bill, colleges then increase the cost. So, could we see a situation very similar to what we're seeing right now in higher education, um, you know, where elementary schools, middle schools, high schools are now artificially increasing the cost of attending those college or those those uh, schools and then it's going to be still the taxpayer footing the bill? That's a really great point, Brian. I, I honestly have uh, never heard any reporter or anyone ask that question in this whole last year and a half <laughs> that I've been working at Commonwealth Foundation, which is really surprising. Um, that's a fantastic question. And I think truthfully, there is always that problem. However, the major difference is that in the higher education system, it is funded through a gigantic government-backed loan system. And that's mm-hmm. not the case with, with school choice. So in, in, say, private universities in the United States, they can almost charge as much as they want up to a certain point till it becomes utterly disgusting. And the students will go there because they have they have to go to college. They all have been convinced we have to go to college. Every millennial and, and a, I say every millennial and Gen Z are just you know nodded their heads in agreement. Yeah, that's my life. <laughs> told me, oh, you have to go to college, and so I went. And then they're like, oh, that'll be thirty something thousand dollars a year. And then the government yep. said, here's a loan. I know you're 18. You have no credit, and there's no way you're going to be able to pay this back, Mister Political Science degree. Uh, but here you go, anyways. Good luck. Uh, That's absolutely not what's happening in school choice. And with school choice policy, what's happening is you have programs where private companies are donating small scholarships to help children get into the schools Mm. nearby. And because of that, there's a very, very close knit community who's paying attention to is that school performing well? How are those children uh, faring once they're there? How much is that school costing? And are they able to get as many low income students there as possible? And there's places like a great example is Jesuit School in North Philadelphia. It's the poorest congressional district in the country is where it's located. Almost every single one of the students is uh, on reduced price or, or free lunch. I can't remember the exact bureaucratic terms, which means that most of the parents make at least like $40,000 mm-hmm. or less, $40,000 or less. And the school wouldn't exist without tax credit scholarships. Local businesses donate to a scholarship organization which then helps the families get into this school, which keeps its tuition as low as possible so that the parents can both afford to pay a little bit, but also uh, be able to use the scholarship to get their kids in there. And that's the kind of community-based 
a desire to not only compete and provide children with a great school, uh, education, but do so in a manner that families can actually afford it because it, th- that's what they're, they're dealing with. It's an actual concern in this, uh, in this realm. Mm-hmm. So now let's, let's flip the, the table from the educated to the educators. Um, mm-hmm. now in, in an example, let's, you know, say the, the school district you're just referring to here in Philadelphia, um, you know, do, do the teachers, are, are they being compensated enough to the extent that there's an incentive to have good teachers in these school districts? Cause I mean, I, I and I, I asked that, Michael, because I, that's an argument I hear a lot from my, my friends on the left, but also my friends who are, are in the public sector, um, in, in education where they're saying, you know, the only reason I can really be a teacher is because I'm able to get, you know, this job at this rate and because I'm going to get tenured in, in, you know, three to five years and then I have my job for life and I have benefits up the wazoo. That's the only reason that I'm doing this pretty much. Um, and of course you'll have, you know, the one or two people who are like, I'm doing this. I love the kids. And I'm like, good God bless you. But mm-hmm. it, there has to be obviously an incentive structure in place to, to bring the best teachers to these, these schools. So long story short, <laughs> my question. Um, are, are school districts like the one you were referring to here? Are they getting funded enough just based on those tax, um, those tax credits from the, uh, I'm sorry, not credits, the tax donations from those local businesses? Are they able to bring in the good teachers to then actually, you know, help improve test scores, improve the, you know, the educational experience for the kids and we're actually seeing tangible results from that? Let me put it this way. To keep with Philadelphia, they've been getting between about 17 and a half to $19,000 per student. And uh, I can't do public math, but multiply that by 30 and you got to have a whole bunch of money per classroom. Uh, a lot. The, <laughs> the thing is that less than half of that actually gets to the classroom. Almost almost 60 percent of it in places like Philadelphia disappears in the system, goes to pensions. A whole lot of it goes to pensions and it goes to a humongous administrative staff uh, and along with all the other places that it gets spent along the way. So there is the money there to pay new high quality teachers and everybody, no one wants teachers to be paid uh, inadequately. However, that's only one of the problems. Getting quality teachers into schools is kind of a cacophony of issues. And one of the other big ones is uh, occupational licensing. There's very, Mm -hmm. very, very peculiar restrictions on becoming a teacher. And you can't be a teacher in one state and then walk across the border and then be a teacher in another state. All of a sudden, (laughs) you have to take new tests, pay a whole bunch of money, wait a certain amount of time, maybe go to graduate school. And uh, for instance, here in Pennsylvania, we have people who might be fantastic teachers in a classroom and have PhDs, but can't go and walk into an elementary school or a high school and teach because they don't have the correct certifications and it takes months and months and months to get it, if not years, to get the process done. That's another problem. Uh, another one is recruitment and, and making the job seem uh, interesting, uh, fun, and enjoyable. Uh, that, that's one of the big problems we've seen is that teachers don't find it to be enjoyable and there's a whole lot of turnover. Happened with my wife, especially in a difficult district. And that has a lot to do with how the management is running the school, the community and the parents and and things that are well beyond the range of, of, uh, of public policy. Sometimes there's, right. a, there's a whole lot of issues there. But when it comes to money, quite frankly, it is usually there just goes into a whole lot of other things. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think what's important and I, the reason I, I bring this up, Michael, is because Larry Sharp was on uh, Joe Rogan and this was an issue that he and Joe got stuck on for, I think it, it was like, honestly, like half an hour and, and Joe mm-hmm. just, Joe could not get 
over the the point that that Larry was trying to make. And, and Larry will, you know, I, I, God bless Larry. He he'll he was on my show and he's like, no, no, Brian, I did it wrong. I'm sorry. And he like he was going off saying that you know he could he was in campaign mode. And I'm like, Larry, you, you you were the best libertarian we could possibly have to be on Joe Rogan. Like, don't apologize for your appearance. Um, but anyways, this one area that was brought up was. You know, Joe saying there's no way that all that money that is, you know, going into the school system is, is that much being devoted towards administration costs. But I don't think people realize how much is actually being devoted towards just pointless administrative costs that really have no bearing on the true education of the kids. Um, it, it really is just to, to, <laughs> it sounds crass to say, but it's just to validate people having jobs. And, and that's, you know, what we kind of went full circle here. That's kind of the main problem. It sounds like is that there is this desire to have, um, to have the, the school districts being, um, you know, paid for cons- or constantly by the public government, uh, or by the public government, by the, by the government rather. And, and it's being pushed for by these labor unions. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of scary because it seems like the labor unions are not so much looking at trying to bring the best teachers forward, but really just to keep the teachers that are there no matter what and just make sure that that pipeline never turns off. Yeah, and a lot of public education money and a lot of the system, it, it's being run for adults and it's being run for a lot of retired adults. If you look at your uh, local school district and you find the, the, the amount of money going per pupil to that district uh, that 50% of it is getting to the classroom, your school district is doing well, especially in a state like Pennsylvania or in a state like California or New York or something like that. If, if 50% of the money that was meant for that child actually gets to the room that that child's sitting in every day to pay the teacher and for supplies, then you're doing well because right. in most yeah. cases, more than that is going elsewhere. And a lot of it is to pensions. Uh, people are living longer and they're staying retired longer though, therefore, and pensions aren't, haven't been getting humongously good returns. So a lot more of the money is having to be contributed to that. But to your point about unions not having a particular, uh, prioritization towards education and quality education rather than towards money, there's a, you have to look at their actions instead of their words. And one of the most blatant and kind of horrifying actions was this summer, the National Education Association had a convention. And at that convention, they were voting on bylaws and other uh, things to express what their priorities were. One of which was to say that they would be committed towards providing a quality education for students and that that would be their priority. Guess how they voted. <laughs> I, I think the audience can guess. They voted no. Exactly. They voted no for a quality <laughs> education for children. That's they wild. Voted to support abortion. They voted for a whole lot of other woke agenda things that are brand new. But a quality education for the National Education Association, not a priority. <laughs> That's insane. Absolutely insane. So, <laughs> wow. Um, so how about this? I, I think, you know, we're at a good point here in the episode where people are, are, are itching to figure out, you know, what can I do to number one, help support school choice. But, you know, if I'm a, a parent and I have a kid, I obviously want to make sure my kid's getting the best education they can get. So I guess question number two is if you're a parent, what can you do to try and uh, act on, you know, maybe the, the chance to uh, act on school choice within their, their local districts and where could they find that information out? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that goes back to how we started the conversation when it comes to getting involved in local politics. So if you want to help increase school choice in your community and your state, 
it is easy. It's so easy to get involved in municipal and state level politics. I, I would know because I just started a year and a half ago, and it's amazing how much impact you can have at the state level rather than watching the, the national news and feeling like you can't do anything. You will find organizations from Americans for Prosperity to think tanks like the Commonwealth Foundation or Texas Public Policy or the Buckeye Institute in Ohio. You will find organizations that support school choice that are associated with charter school networks uh, with religious private school networks, that sort of thing, who will be able to help connect you to a group of people who want to make uh, progress in that realm, who want to increase the programs and provide children with more opportunities. And you will be amazed at how quickly you'll be willing to jump in and start helping out, calling your lawmaker, and all of a sudden you'll know a bunch of acronyms and how much money this program has and who voted no, and you'll be in it like crazy. If you have a child and you want to get uh, use one of the programs, That's actually a really big issue uh, because one of the things we find is that especially in low income neighborhoods, people just don't aren't aware that they have these options in the first place. Uh, A lot of it is that there needs to be more people like you and me telling them uh, and making sure they know. Uh, And if you happen to be someone who's listening and you want to see if you're eligible for something, I swear, just Google it. Look up school choice programs in my state. Look up tax credit programs, education savings accounts charter schools and other things like that. And, uh, and you'll find something out there and, uh, get connected with people and they'll help you out. See, this is an episode that I really feel good after because it's actually going to be able to help people, you know, like, like mm-hmm. this is something that somebody listening to this show right now, you can go out and you can do this. You can, you know, really look for school districts in your area that your kid is going to be best served to go to and it's going to better their lives. It's going to give them more opportunity. And, and, you know, you might not have known that unless you listen to a show like this. So that, that for me just, it, it reaffirms why we're doing this show. You know what I mean, Michael? Um, exactly. So, so, you know, you, you have a lot of great stuff that you're, you're doing over at the Commonwealth Foundation. So Michael, if folks want to go ahead and, and stay up to, uh, to date with Michael Torres, where can they go ahead and find you on social media? Oh, you can find me at mind of Torres, T O R R E S on the Twitter. Uh, and then you can follow Commonwealth Foundation, uh, at, um, at Liberty for PA or uh, find us on Facebook and just look up Commonwealth Foundation. And our website is commonwealthfoundation.org. And uh, we're fighting the good fight to make sure that this critical state in, in, uh, in the country uh, leans towards free markets rather than socialism and make sure that we have prosperity for as many people as possible and good educations for everyone who wants to choose one. Oh, man. Well, you know, my my mayor in Philadelphia just endorsed Elizabeth Warren. So, I mean, that, that oh, I speaks that. that speaks to where, I, where I'm where i at here in Philly. Well, listen, Michael, it's, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much. And, uh, you know, we're looking forward to having you on again in the future. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Trust the experts. We're all in this together. If it saves one life, raise your hand if you heard any of those tiresome
embarrassing phrases over the past year and a half. I know my hand is currently raised. Millions of people across dozens of industries were labeled unessential and forced to lock down with livelihoods and futures crushed in an instant. And as government has continued to expand its power and leverage fear to turn neighbor against neighbor, a group of filmmakers have taken a stand and are determined to help set the record straight on the importance of following the actual science of the pandemic. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty from the Sound Mind Creative Group is a brand new docu-series highlighting the stories of those negatively impacted over the past year and a half by ineffective government policies enacted in the name of following the science. With noted experts like Nick Hudson from Panda, the Pandemic Data and Analytics Organization, healthcare policy advisors like Scott Atlas, and telling the stories of business owners, families, and just your average everyday person harmed by these government mandates. Follow the science on lockdowns and liberty is giving us a chance to make sure the true stories of the pandemic are told. So please help us at the Brian Nichols Show in supporting the Sound Mind Creative Group. With noted figures in the liberty movement like Dr. Tom Woods donating thousands of their own dollars to this project, you know just how important this project is. So head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science to donate and catch their brand new trailer to the docuseries one more time. That's briannicholsshow.com forward slash follow the science.